Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of Side Quest. Good morning, Slava. Welcome back to Side Quest. Jonathan, good morning. I am glad to be here. And welcome to our little adventurers joining us. I don't know if little is the adjective that I want to use. Our, our welcome adventurers, our friendly adventurers, our, our questing un- adventurers, our unruly adventurers. Ooh, unruly! Are you our guys possessed. unruly? Okay. I hate everything about who you choose to be as a person. <laughs> possessed uh, to adventure. Yes, possessed by adventure. Was there ever a god in any sort of um, culture that was like, "This is the god of adventure"? I want to know now. God of Adventure. It's probably, there's probably a God of Adventure. Tutorial is too hard, Wiki. Nope. Five Gods of Travel. Oh, that's great. Anyway, what'd you learn this week while I'm learning a thing to share with the group? I'll share what I learned this week. The work that I do for a particular customer, out of the industry that I work in, this customer has the best engagement and out of the, all the other folks, my customer seems to be doing the right things and exceeding, like verifiably, the, the other folks in this industry. And this is because about five years ago, the leaders went like, you know what? We need to do a better job of engaging with the world because it's, it's a global entity. I came into it when these things are already in place. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is cool. You know, I'm glad to be part of the team. This is doing good stuff. Yeah. Hey, still good work. I mean means that your career is going well. What did you learn this week? Well, speaking of work, I'm thinking, I'm, you're making me think about work. I learned that some people are a hard no and there's nothing you can do to convince them otherwise. I was listening to one of our uh, meetings that I, I wasn't at, but we were like working on getting a client. And the moment that we talked about our installation system, it was just like, nope, not doing it. And like from for the rest of the conversation, it was just fully shut down. And I was like, this person didn't even bother hearing about the other options. They just were like a hard no with no options to move forward for any reason. And I was like, huh, well, <laughs> never going to get them as a client while this person's in, in the lead. So interesting stuff, to say the least. But that's not what I really learned. But you, you made me think about it while, I, um, while you were talking about work. Uh, I did a quick search about gods for adventure. And they're all like listed as travel gods. But there's one about Norse mythology I didn't know about. This is really interesting. Thor had a brother named Meili, which meant milestepper, considered the god of travel. And he was referred to as the lovely one, but not much else is known about him. Also, not the oh. thing I learned this week. What I learned about this week was on Reddit, there was this image of this guy holding this thing that kind of looks like a pile of dog crap or like a mushroom combined. And apparently it's this thing called marcasite. And it's not really metal, and it's not really a mineral. It's kind of a mixture of both. And it's not magnetic, and one of the Redditors was, like, explaining why it's not magnetic. He's like, the ions go the other way, and most things that are iron are, you know, 
not actually magnetic. And then the person below him's like, flip the magnet over. And I was like, this is why I love Reddit. The stupidity is brilliant. Anyway, let's dive off here. Let's dive in. Let's, um, well, yeah, Neptune is the god of travel on the sea if you're going on a sea adventure. So be sure to Neptune in to SideQuest by nah. hitting the subscribe button to SideQuest on your favorite podcast platform. I'm going to say SideQuest one more time just so that it's, you know, you get it. Our unruly, our, our unruly adventurers. Possessed by Neptune. Neptune? Yep. Let me try that again. <laughs> Possessed by Neptune. Neptune? It's like, um, anyway. My, my excuse for all, when I sound like I might be drunk. <laughs> I am. My excuse is English is not my first language and I'm drunk. I say that too at work when I'm like, I can't remember what the word is in English. And then it implies that I have a second language, but I really just don't know how to speak English well. I do this to my girlfriend, too. I'm like, I don't remember what the word is in English, and she just looks at me and then just gives me that glare because she does speak two languages. Well, here's the thing. I shouldn't be able to use that as an excuse because I grew up in the States, and I started school in the States, mm-hmm. and I learned my 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 mother. It's not even my mother tongue, right? Uh, but I learned the other language that I speak poorly, which is Russian. I learned that in the home and in the streets to use, a, mm-hmm. you know, uh, He's vernacular. for the streets. Yeah, <laughs> which means, you know, just at school in a, in a church. Uh, that was the streets. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Although I did hang out with street rats, too. Um, that doesn't sound right. I'm going to start Although saying I Aladdin if you, if you keep mentioning street rats. Street rats, Although, what's that? Although I did hang out with people. I, I, I was a little rebel when I was a kid, so I did hang out on the street corner smoking cigarettes thinking I was cool. Uh, so outside cool. the church. Yeah, and then I, when I went to seminary, I, I studied Hebrew and Greek. In high school, I studied French. So in my brain, even though I primarily speak English, sometimes words and sentence structure is funny. So, so what, that is it. what you're telling I'm me... I'm not possessed. I'm not possessed. But you, do, you are telling me that you do speak in tongues. I, I, yes. Yes, I do. In tongues. Languages. <laughs> If you know, you know, audience. <laughs> stupid jokes for stupid people. Yes. That's what we're going to change the podcast to. Stupid jokes for stupid people. That would be amazing. And still keep it a book podcast, so thoroughly confusing. <laughs> we're not that funny. Anyway, let's do a quick summary of The Exorcist. Between last time and this time, I ended up watching the director's cut movie uh, that Slava suggested to me. So once again, The Exorcist is based on a real, like based on real events, and it's about a woman named Chris, who's a famous actress, and discovers that her daughter has become possessed by a demon named Captain Howdy or Pazuzu for the Marin fans. We follow along as Chris does everything she can to help her daughter get well, quote unquote. On her journey, she seeks help from doctors, psychiatrists, and a faithless priest. The faithless priest, who is also a trained psychologist tries to disprove that her daughter, Reagan, is possessed by a demon needing an exorcism. Why? Slava will get into this later, but the Catholic Church tries to disprove all natural things first and then move into actually offering an exorcism. Inevitably, he submits to the Catholic Church that they need to perform an exorcism. The exorcism is moving along, but it ends by the priest offering himself up to the demon to leave Reagan 
the daughter and enter his body where as he's becoming possessed he throws himself from the window out into the street and on down some stairs where he inevitably dies i think we're going to actually dive into the rites of exorcism later in the episode so stay tuned for that but i uh i don't think that that's best practice for exorcisms the catholic church tend to frown on self-possession or inviting demons and then committing suicide (laughs) that's not in the book that i read isn't suicide a mortal sin yes you'll find priests and maybe orders that would maybe be a little bit more lenient but overall for a lot of the history suicide was a mortal sin just like murder but you're murdering yourself yep that's how and if you murder somebody you can get absolved by the priest to repent but there's no repentance after you snuff yourself out and go beyond the veil right so to speak right 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 for those who don't know a mortal sin is a serious or grave matter where you have significant knowledge or reflection and the full consent consent of your will to act on it if i am vague vaguely remembering correctly anyway let's get into it slava what do you got for us what do i got for you well this day i am possessed by the fact that we covered the spirit realm last time, even though we explicitly said we would cover it this time. And we're going to keep it that way because it's easier for everybody. But would you like to add anything about where we ended last last episode? And then if not, let's talk about the movie. Anything I would like to add about the spirit realm? Well, I have said for many years that if I had one wish, it would be to wish for a book of spiritual law because regardless of what folks believe, Uh, The truth of the matter is that a spirit realm does exist, and the natural realm is influenced, feels like, too too light of a word. The natural world is partly dictated by the spirit realm in some fashion. And if I had a full book of the laws of the spirit realm, I could achieve all of my wildest dreams with the least amount of resistance. So that's not what you were asking me, but that is what I've said. So t- you can that's, that's fair enough. You can quote me no, on that. Duly noted. Um, yeah, I think the point from last time to this time, how we can extrapolate a connection out of what you just said is that the spirit realm is is real, alive and, and moving, alive and moving. And I know a lot of people they are strict materialists, but they can't account for immaterial things that they readily use daily and one thing is the laws of logic Mm -hmm. they're not just constructs otherwise they wouldn't be logical or consistent yeah but i digress like so spirit realm does exist and i think our fascination with it is more than just a primitive it's evidence you know chemical induced spark that like oh we we are channeling our ancestors from 10,000 years ago. I think it's an inherent thing, intrinsic in our humanity, to be curious about it because we're part of it. Even though we are in this realm and physics exists, math exists, logic exists, gravity exists, the, the, the day will be the same tomorrow as it is today, mm-hmm. meaning that the same laws, those immaterial laws and some of them are material laws. Natural and spiritual. Will continue to exist. One more thing that I would like to mention about the spirit realm is the spirit realm functions based on hierarchy and authority. Two things that we will get into some of in a little bit regarding 
the rights of exorcism and Christianity and Christ's authority over the church and the world because, well, and and so let let me back up a second. The reason we know that the spirit realm functions on authority is because of scripture and the actions that Christ takes to remove and exorcise demons from people and places, stuff like that. So real quickly, then we'll really move on to the movie is even the demons are subject to Christ. So if you talk to real exorcist or even theologians on our side of the aisle, Protestant side of the aisle, like Christ still is in charge, right? All authority has been given to him. Possession is not a surprise to God. It's not like, oh my gosh, somebody's possessed. What do I do? Let me send this priest. Maybe he'll do some mumbo jumbo and say a prayer and maybe it'll work. Everything that is happening is not a surprise to God and even demons are under his control. Mm -hmm. So with that ending our spiritual realm point, you watch the movie. I think it's a great movie. I've said I love the book. I love the movie. Red watched both numerous times, specifically the director's cut. You watched the movie, you watched the director's cut. What did you think? What are your what's one takeaway from or maybe two takeaways? So, I not trying to just disagree with you. Didn't love the movie, and it's because I thought the movie was more sterile than the book, which it which it was. And like you said, it's two different products, which as a filmmaker, cuz for those who don't know, I went to film school at the New York Film Academy. It's really expensive. Not really worth it if you're thinking about it. So shout out to them or whatever. I have the student loan to prove it. And it's not the it's not the shout out the schools want, huh? No. This person went to our school and they don't they didn't like it. There's a lot of reasons for that if we ever get into it. But anyway, the movie. The movie the the, the movie was made in nineteen seventy eight. Is that right? Uh, 74 or 75. 74, 75. Between 74 and 76, yeah. It was made a couple of years after the book, which was 71. Mm-hmm. So it okay. could have been as early as 73 or as late as 76. Got it. So anyway, making movies is hard, like full stop. It's super hard. Whatever you've done to get to your career, it's that times seven. Like, that's it. It's it's super, super difficult. It's, it's this large project that has... So many moving parts and a few people at the top who people complain about getting paid too much are the ones trying to keep it together because everything keeps falling apart even when you have money um, or it doesn't go well or someone doesn't remember their lines. Like it's really hard to make a movie. So hard, full respect for making this movie, full respect for getting it done in the 70s when they're using film because that's a whole nother like issue than compared to using digital today where we have it really easy. Same with sound sound editing. Like everything is just so much easier now than it used to be. And it looks good because of it, which is nice. But anyway, the movie yeah, felt sterile because I've read the book now and I think I've said this in a bunch of other stories. I enjoy the character development that you get and it felt like the movie was just hitting plot points, which reduced my care for the characters. Like we didn't see Carl, Willie, or Sharon more than maybe three times a piece through the entire film. But in the book, we get like a full experience with Carl and what's going on with him and his daughter and Willie. We just don't get that same level of emotional attachment with the characters, which is fine from one point because it's like, well, they're trying to, first off, the movie's limited time-wise, but it gives you the opportunity to focus your attention elsewhere for other character development, which is like, okay, cool which would be great. However, I don't feel like we really got to dive into Karis's relationship with his mother as much as we could have as well because it's like she shows up, he or he shows up, then later she dies and then like the demon mentions it. 
during it, and Marin tells him to get out, like just like the book. So I'm not trying to just poo-poo on your your love of this movie. I think similar to when I read Harry Potter. I read Harry Potter when I was 30. I'm 35 right now, and I was like, eh, it was okay. Like it's not bad. It's not bad. I'm I'm like being more critical probably than I actually am about the movie. These aren't bad stories. I enjoy anyone who finishes a story and markets it because I think we all have good stories to tell, even if they're not um, blockbusters. Blockbusters. Thank you. Thank you. But it also depends on when you engage with a story and where you're at in life. So the first time you encounter a story, it will make an imprint on you, and that imprint could be, "Hey, this isn't that great," or it "Didn't touch me," or it "Didn't it didn't move me emotionally." Which is okay, but it's like, that's my honest opinion. I think that with the ending being different, where Chris keeps the necklace, symbolizing her potential toward faith, is a better ending than the book. Because, I think I said this last time, you don't just, like, resolve an exorcism that your daughter was possessed by a demon and then go, well, I'm not going to embrace with God. Or like in that's the book's ending. That's actually the book's ending. Sorry to interrupt. Oh yeah. The 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 ending difference is between the director's cut and uh, well, the director's cut is Blatty's version. The director Friedkin, I think his name is. He wanted to leave the movie on Chris handing the necklace back to Dyer and saying, "You should keep it." Blatty, who wasn't the director but he was the writer and the producer, wanted to keep. Okay. The book's ending in it. Yeah, I haven't seen the other version, so that's why. I, yeah. The other version is missing 10 minutes, a couple of conversations, the the walk down the stairs, the spider walk, and the ending is shorter by like, I think, two and a half minutes. Yeah, okay. Got it. I Because I, I did a little looking after the movie, and they mentioned that the ending was different, and I thought, I thought that sounded like the book, but I mean, I guess it's different. But I'm wrong because I didn't realize, I didn't think about the fact that the like if there's a director's cut that means that there's a different cut that has a different differences to it so anyway so yeah symbolizing her potential toward faith and like you don't just deal with an exorcism and then go i don't believe in god because it's like well clearly something like it doesn't mean that you're automatically a christian or something like that but you have to recognize that the spirit realm exists and something caused this and like it's something that will i don't know another word to use but like haunt you of like a truth like the spirit realm exists and i need to make a decision on it anyway one thing that I wanted to say that was really good is the special effects back in the 70s. That was a good time. Like, it's not easy to do practical effects, and I thought that they did a pretty good job on that. So respect for that, too. So a lot of my likes are more from the filmmaking art rather than the story itself. One final thing that I think is just interesting is that while I was watching the movie, it froze six times. <laughs> yeah, and I... for for context i don't have your cheap off-the-shelf best buy router i spent five grand on my network and have as a hobby do network engineering because i think it's fun i ran the cables myself like when i have a problem i can see it so i don't have a problem when i stream anything unless comcast actually has an outage and uh, i'm hopefully switching that this year because we have fiber coming in very excited about that but that's just, it froze six times. And I was like, this is interesting. So I text Slava after I finished. I was like, finish the movie. Don't know what was happening. Movie froze. And he knows that I, like, I've shown him my network. And, like, I have this application that tells me when things are going wrong. But my network was fine. I checked other streaming stuff and it was going no <laughs> issues. 
So do with that what you will. Maybe we need to exercise my TV. Or your router. Or my router. Or that router at Amazon, since you watched it on Amazon Prime. Right. The server, server at Amazon. Yeah, server. So anyway, the, the movie was pretty close to the book, which I appreciated, but did miss out on like Carl and Willie and Sharon, because I think that they did actually offer, now that I've seen a version of it without them, pretty much, I'm like, oh, they added it quite a bit to the book. So let, let me ask you a question on that, because I, I don't pretend to be a filmmaker, but the products that I create, they're video-based. So I cut Yeah, you guys do post-roll. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I cut B-roll. I make sure when I tell a story visually, I even sometimes cut very important content to condense what we're trying to say. And then the, the, what I cut could be a part two, maybe, or a director's, you know, director's uh, cut of the, the YouTube short. Because a lot of our stuff is, you know, under two minutes, what we produce. Yeah. But do you honestly think that if the movie, as it is right now, as you saw, the director's cut, if they added another 12 minutes, let's say, and focused on Carl's and Willie's daughter, who Willie thinks is dead, but is a drug drug addict, and Carl, despite his stoicism and strength everywhere else, is a sucker for his daughter, and like goes and visits her and gives her money, probably so she doesn't have to sell herself to get her drugs, which is a fascinating part of the book. I'm not saying that's a, like a silly thing, but do you think adding that to the movie would have somehow helped the, the the plot of the movie? And remember, separate products, right, this right, 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 two two pieces of art. No, I don't think that that would have added to it. What I would do is add about six minutes of Carl and Willie's relationship with each other in the midst of living with Chris or, like, working for Chris. I think I would add three minutes of Sharon's relationship with Reagan because in the book they have a much tighter relationship. Um, So three to four minutes on that uh, throughout the movie, probably earlier on. I I would actually cut down the shots with Marin in the desert at the beginning because that was like 25 minutes almost or at least it seemed that way and it was about 10 but yeah I it was long you. right and I know how time we're really bad at, at telling time even when we're watching it and we can check the time code but it felt like 25 minutes and and it's like we don't learn much because he doesn't say anything which is okay that's good filmmaking you should show rather than tell however because it doesn't come in until later it could have been cut there, and we could have had more moments with Carly, uh, Car- Carla, Carl and Willie and Sharon and their relationship related to Chris and Reagan. And I also think that having more moments with Reagan embracing the Ouija board or Captain yes. Howdy would have been a yes. better strengthener for the, the piece because it seemed yes. like it jumped straight into going to the doctors and the psychiatrists and it felt like it was missing the connection piece where they, like, tried to do something else. Also, the dinner party was, like, way more ritzy 1920s. What's that book? 1920s, green light flashing over the lake. Gatsby. It felt like the party felt like the great Gatsby. And I was like, mm. the book is like a small dinner party with a few people, like, maybe up to ten. It didn't seem like that many. No, an astronaut, a couple of priests, a psychic, and her friends. Yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. like, which makes, which has, a, which has a very different implication than a larger event. And I think that the larger event didn't help. And I also don't think it helped that we didn't really see a strong connection between Chris or the director. 
he's just like he's in maybe four shots it seemed like and then he's dead yeah and in the book it seems like despite him being a bit of a bastard because he's a drunk they have they meaning chris and he have a natural close friendship yeah it's a working relationship it's a yeah in the book in the movie and because movies are movies and people do analysis in the movie some people have pulled out the fact that Dennings is not only a drunk, but he has a crush on Chris that's unrequited, and he might have diddled Reagan, and that's why he was upstairs, and that's why she threw him out the window as the demon possessed her. And I was like, well, that's all very much a stretch and a half. Because I didn't get that out of the movie. I didn't get any sexual subtext out of the movie. No, yeah, yeah. Like like sexual abuse subtext, subtext out no, of the movie. No, 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 definitely not that. And I know sometimes that's hidden by directors and even script writers on purpose, and that's fine. That's great. That's why I love movie analysis and movie theory. But I didn't get that out of it. And to your point, because I want to continue and not rabbit trail off just yet, to your point about adding more stuff with the demon, how he got Reagan, and her relationship with Willie, Carl, and Sharon specifically, I think would be very interesting. Sharon, who's quasi-religious and interacts with Reagan, something in there in the script where Sharon catches her doing the Ouija board and kind of gives her spiritual, not religious perspective on it. Also the witchcraft book. I don't remember seeing that at all. Yeah, right. That was given to Chris by the psychic to help explain what might be going on with Reagan and a couple of other uh, intricate plot points there in the book. But the Ouija board with just us and her, the audience and Reagan. And then Howdy, I would have wanted to see Captain Howdy friendly and benign talking to Reagan, even exploiting her sadness that her father Howard and mother are divorced. That is fun. And again, that if you want to learn more about that, go to Rob Ager's YouTube channel. Uh, he, he picks that apart really well. But yeah, I think it jumped around too much as much as i love the movie it did we just went boom to the doctors boom to crucifix masturbation and you're like wow okay i mean i get it that's all in the book but you're like where is the progression of the story because blady kind of you know weaves this little uh thing and it's, it's a slow burn mm-hmm. and then i get it, it's a movie and somebody who's been around enough movie makers and has consumed an exorbitant amount of movie theory and movie analysis, I think I can speak with confidence. I understand how you have to cut down movies and how to tell a visual story. Right, right. Well, and like you said, there's ways to trim the fat on some of the stuff that's there already. Anyway, those are my thoughts on the movie. Not a bad piece. I don't watch a lot of 70s flicks, so it was kind of nice to go, oh, yeah, this is what movies were like back 50 years ago. And um, for anybody who is not telling time correctly, 50 years ago. This is what we were doing 50 years ago. 1970s. 2023. Oh, my gosh. 20 minus 2023 is 2003. 2003 minus 30 is 1973. 50 years ago. When this movie possibly came out. So. I think it was 73. I think it came out 73, 74. So 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you liked it. I agree on your uh, analysis of it. I Obviously, I like it more than you, but that's. Neither here nor there. That's it's just the how, imprint of how when things you, work. Yeah, it's the imprint of when yeah. you saw it. Like, I, right. I'm firmly convinced. I used to have stronger opinions of like, no, this thing's the greatest thing, and no, this thing's the worst thing, because I was young and stupid once. Now I'm just stupid. Um. <laughs> 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 Zing. 
it's like, what's your taste? Like, you really love horror? Great, love horror. But like, when I embrace it, or when you know, when I engage with it, my imprint of the of the story is like, well, these things were good, these things were bad. It didn't move me the the, the way that the Cosmere moves me, or Lord of the Rings when I was a kid, and The Hobbit. Like, you know, those things really captured my attention, and it's why I love them. And and like, buy art and and like support these fantasy worlds because I'm like, anything could happen, you know. So for yeah. me, it's it's very different. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because for me, Stephen King is this way. Like, he left an imprint for me when I was a kid. And he was my escape from my the reality of my childhood. So I understand that King writes popular stuff. He's not, you know, Shakespeare or mm-hmm. Hawthorne or Dimebag. That And that's not an insult to him. No, no, it's just different. That's it's just, just different, different categories. And I think there's a spectrum. Like, and I'm going to use wine as an example. There is a spectrum of wine from your two buck chuck to your $500 bottle of wine. And that's the price spectrum. The other spectrum that kind of governs that, I think, is good wine, objectively good wine, because there's a science and an art to making wine. So there's objectively good wine and objectively bad wine. There's objectively good filmmaking. There's objectively bad filmmaking. Like you take The Exorcist and you take. Birdemic. <laughs> if you know, I was you know. Say Birdemic, Nado, but but Sharknado, I think, it pokes fun at itself. That's a different type of genre. <laughs> but yeah, you know, if Sharknado was made by somebody who thought that they were making the next Jaws, it would deserve mockery. The Room. You, have... you ever watched The Room? Yes. <laughs> All right, The Room. We don't the have room to get into you... it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, objective bad movies and good movies. Exorcist is a a really good movie for the time it was made. And our only critique of it is the, the script could have used some some padding in this case, which normally would be a bad thing for a movie. It could have used another couple drafts, for sure. Yeah. Uh, of yeah. New, nuanced things, which is honestly one yeah. of the reasons that I love, and I know that I'm a fanboy, but Sanderson, because he sends his book drafts to beta readers and then asks them, like, what emotionally moved you or didn't move you? about Mm -hmm. the book currently and then he'll take those notes and revise it which is why there's such a strong emotional journey in his narratives which is which is why it makes a lot of us hesitant like when it hits the film um scene which will be a little bit still but we're all kind of like what's gonna happen anyway let's um let's keep this train rolling let's do it so my next question for you is why do you think people are fascinated by the spiritual and specifically Let's keep it with horror. Why do you think people are fascinated with The Devil, The Exorcist movie, or like The Ring? When I was a kid, I loved The Ring. It scared the crap out of me when I, was, when I watched it. But I, I, as a person who likes horror, and as I've matured, my interaction with it, as I said in the previous episode, has been tampered, uh, for, for lack of a better term. But as one who has been in those shoes, and there's more and more of me around, uh, in the current uh, current culture, why the fascination with the spiritual? Besides the obvious answer, I think, because we're spiritual beings and we, we're we drawn to that, because that's easy. Why do you think people are fascinated by it? Well, I think I'm going to give you an answer that, that might might shock you a little bit. I think we're drawn to it because we're spiritual beings, and we're... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the pause really did it for me. Um, yes, that sounds, <laughs> delivery is key. Yeah, 
Oh, that was funny. I hope you guys all got a that kick was... out of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, why are people fascinated with the spiritual? Well, I think it provokes our curiosity because we don't have much knowledge of it. I think it's the same reason that we explore the ocean still and space. We go, we know that there's mystery here and we know that there's something that we can use from it. Benefit, we perceive a, a good benefit or we wouldn't do it. And we we dive into it. But I, I think we, because of our ignorance of the actual implications of dabbling with the spirit realm through any means possible, we are outside of the rails of how the spirit realm is meant to be properly engaged with. I won't dive into that entirely, but like there's a right way and a wrong way to engage in the spirit realm. And when the spirit that you're talking to ends up owning your life, and that doesn't just mean possession, it can mean oppression and influence where a lot of negative starts happening to your life, then it's probably time to change. So yeah, I guess I'd call that the short answer because I do want us to move toward the um, the information you, you gathered regarding the religious rites and exorcism. Right, right. And I was hoping for a, for a short answer. As I studied, as I do for our books, kind of like the background of authors and uh, some of the more philosophical aspects of a story, plot, and you know worldviews of people involved in creating the product, book, movie, or otherwise, I found a lot of interesting stuff. And this stuff, some of it was covered in the previous episode, but I want to talk about the complexity and the seriousness of exorcism. Irrespective of what any of you in the audience have seen on TV or heard in popular history about the Catholic Church and some of its guffaws, if you will, theological and otherwise, or some of the outright mistakes and sometimes evil mistakes that have been made by humans, whether they wear the Christian moniker or not. Outside of that, which is 90% of it is BS, the seriousness with which the Catholic Church takes exorcism should be applauded. And... Blatty captures that really well. Even the times when Karis's skepticism is infuriating because you're like, all right, now you're just kind of your worldview, your doubt is now influencing your skepticism, which is a correct way to approach an exorcism. So there's you don't, you know, mess up a person's life or you're not dealing with somebody who's a fraud. Yeah, his struggle of faith is coming through. Yeah, his struggle of faith is coming through. But what he does is the correct way. So the possession must be verified. Like fraud must be investigated. These are like this the steps. So that's why you go through all the steps to figure out this person is he wants attention. She wants attention. Exorcists should have moral certitude, which means you have to be certain the exorcism will do good, do no harm. You know, like the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm. So the exorcism, whether it's like in the book, in Karis's mind, is something as suggestive, and that's no different than uh, hypnosis or some sort of therapy, whether you believe that or whether you believe you're actually exercising a demon in the name of Christ and there's a spiritual element to it, whichever side of the, the aisle you fall under there, you have to have mortal certitude that you're doing the right thing. Second, the church must approve. Even an exorcist who has been designated as a church's exorcist, which is a little bit complex, so a little side note within a side quest, within a side quest, is the bishop of any region is the official exorcist. But he usually appoints 
others, like one or two in the region, to be the exorcist for the the church. And you mentioned hierarchy. Well, in the church's view of things, the Catholic Church's view of things, Christ, Pope, bishops, you know, priests. I'm oversimplifying that. Don't at me. But that authority from Christ that flows through can be given by the bishop to a priest to perform the rite of exorcism. So the priest must bring forth enough evidence to the bishop to say, yeah, do it. And we see that in the book. What exorcists look for when they approach a potential victim, and they come with psychological and medical help. Sometimes these are Catholics. Sometimes they're actually part of the church, just like Karis was. Sometimes they're outside of the church, outside of the faith. But they come with psychological and medical help, because that comes first for the victim. That also cuts down on the fraud, because frauds would run away, because now real medical experts are coming. This is not something that they can just, you know, do to get some attention from the local church. And uh, the Catholic Church acknowledges that demons will exploit people with mental illness. So there has to be, okay, so this guy might be mentally ill and also possessed or not, but that's why they get as many SMEs, experts, as possible to come in to examine the potential victim. And specific things they look for outside of that, uh, knowledge of foreign or ancient languages, and knowledge of the occult or personal things, because occult actually means secret knowledge. So knowing things about Karis's mom, knowing things about Dennings, knowing about Carl's druggy daughter, that kind of stuff, extraordinary strength and aversion to anything sacred. So when you come to an exorcism and you're an exorcist in the Catholic Church, you come with a book, you come with holy water, you come with relics or sacred things like a crucifix. And if the demon, the, the person afflicted, shows a great aversion, just like Reagan did, and starts spouting blasphemies, usually sexual blasphemies against the Virgin Mary, everything has to be scrutinized, just like Karis does. And after you exhaust all rational, natural material, medical, psychiatric, explanations, after you exhaust them, then you go, okay, is there something that is para, super natural going on that's not explained by taking things, for example, maybe a, a server at Amazon froze up. It wasn't Pazuzu messing with Jonathan, right? Just you don't know that. You don't know that. You It could be. But you have to exhaust those things. If if you were to exercise I'd check your house, my network. You'd have to check, if you wanted to be a real exorcist, you'd have to check with Amazon to see if they experienced any outages during that hour. Otherwise, you don't know. So I know it sounds maybe silly to some people or unbelievable that religious people will go through such lengths and use science, which I don't think is can can be divorced from faith, it is and should, shouldn't be. But I think the fact that the Catholic Church goes through so much, um, so many steps shows how serious that they take it. And they even have an association for it. It's called International Association of Exorcists, formerly acknowledged as part of the church in 2014 or 2004. No, 2014. Its president, Father Bamante, says, pretending to understand, and this is kind of connected to the fascination people have, but pretending to understand Catholic exorcism or exorcism uh, without having a living faith in Christ and what he in the revelation given to the church teaches us about Satan and the demonic world, is like wanting to deal with second-degree equations without knowing the four basic operations of mathematics and their properties. 
The ministry of the exorcist is particularly delicate. Exposed to multiple dangers, it requires special prudence, the result not only of right intention and goodwill towards the victim, but also of a suitable specific preparation, which the exorcist is obliged to receive to adequately carry out his office. So this is not something that is taken lightly by anybody in the church. I mean, maybe some people do. Obviously, mistakes have happened. The crap we talked about in France where everybody was losing their ever-living mind. Um, Yeah, and people like digging up bones and burning them, and then nuns were having heart attacks, and exorcists are having heart attacks. But here, and like I said, seven hours of lectures, and I think an ungodly amount of blogs and not even in in ser- <clears throat> an ungodly amount of blogs and you know a good amount of more serious writings uh, on this from catholic sources my, my takeaway is from it is they take this very very seriously as they should one more thing before we leave our audience and it's a good segue Blatty represents Catholicism well. How can we do this well? And this is us, meaning you and me, and writers in the audience. What are your thoughts on that, Mr. Film School? How do we write religious fiction well? Yeah, representing religion well. Because a lot of times, if you watch movies made by non-religious people, so-called, when they're portraying religious folks, even if they're portraying something that's true, and even if that truth is uncomfortable because it's a bad thing, it seems caricature. It doesn't seem honest. It seems almost goofy. So how do how do we? Where do we start? You, you ask the question. Where do we begin? We begin at the beginning. But the only way to write religious fiction well is the same way that we write anything well. It's with contrast. So whether you're writing the story of a priest who never meets a woman and just lives his life from start to finish because he his mother died when he was born and he lives with these monks, you know, and he's a priest for the monks. Like, okay, but the contrast there is other people who have different opinions and perspectives on life versus his. And although this sounds like a fake story, there's actually one, one incident that I learned about a couple of weeks ago where there was a man, his mother died at birth and he was raised by monks and he never met a woman because he never left the monastery hmm. in 80 years. Wow. So you, you write it with contrast and the contrast can simply be first person point of view where everything is, you know, the internal monologue of the person and then how they engage with the outside workings and how they synthesize what's been given to them and how they react. Or it could be third person omniscient where you get the inner monologue of a bunch of different people and one person is super pious, but actually at home they're like, I'm not even sure if I'm saved. But you see the outworkings of something different. It's all about contrast. Like good writing is contrast by putting them in situations that require them to engage differently, by showing you the inner struggle, showing the contrast of people who don't believe what they believe, whatever it might be. To write religious fiction well, it starts with contrast. The second part, that you need to add to the formula that is good writing is it needs to be gritty. Like, nothing should be super polished. You should let your characters fail and let them fail hard and let them feel the, the pain, rejection, and disappointment of the thing because that's real life and that's what the reader understands. 
Nobody who reads books or is living has never, how do, how do you say this? Everyone who's living has in, embraced some level of suffering. I think we've talked about this in a bunch of different episodes, but nobody has lived a life without suffering. Even if you're the wealthiest person in the world, you've still suffered in some ways. So show that to us in the characters. Jesus, the most important character that's ever lived, suffered. Like literally everybody, to be human is to suffer. I'm sure a philosopher somewhere said that probably. Well, let's just call it Plato. Why not? So those two things, if used correctly, will will allow you to write religious fiction well, but it will also let you write well in general. Very good. I want to add two more, at least one nope. more to that. Nope. I was possessed by the writing demon this afternoon, so I get to share and you get to... The power of the Christ compels you, Slava. It's compelling me to add two more points to yours. Okay. As a seminarian who's done this for eight plus years, meaning research, that's what you should do when you're writing this. And the research should be done so well that you're able to present or represent person's view, whether it's your opponent in a debate or you're writing a paper for seminary and you're disagreeing with a particular point of view. When you make your movie, when you write your book, just like Sanderson here, hand it to a beta reader who follows that religion, and they can say, yep, that's what we believe. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you get cookie-cutter, two-dimensional characters that are just the. Yeah, that's true. It's got to be gritty. It's got to be honest. That's the truth. Yep. But that is all we have today on SideQuest. Thank you for joining us, you unruly adventurers. Tune in next time. Don't forget to subscribe to listen to our rantings. We are going to have a special guest that you've never met before on next time who has a very interesting journey, and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. So, the question we want to leave you with, do you believe in the supernatural? Or are you just a big bag of emotion? Let us know in the comments. Keep adventuring. Keep adventuring.